Father, we uh, uh, look forward tonight as we are gathered here, Lord, and what a joy it is to gather together in the name of Jesus as your church. And I pray, God, that as we open up your word, uh, Lord, you would speak to us through what Peter wrote down as Peter's exhorting a church and in his generation. And I just kind of get a picture of him just sharing with them like we're sharing tonight. And, and then, Lord, as we come to your table, prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts as we're going through the teaching. And then as we get ready, Lord, just make it a special time of fellowship with you. That's what communion is all about, fellowship with you. And so I do just lift up this time and pray for you to do a mighty work in every heart in here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you were here last time, we kind of left off. Remember that Peter was talking about uh, the, the false teachers and their judgment is coming, and that's for sure. Then he said, in the midst of that, that we need to understand God is able to take care of the godly, right? And to save them from temptation. And then went back into the whole idea and reserve uh, for the unjust uh, under punishment for the day of judgment. And then tonight it's gonna kind of continue. If you have a New King James, it's sort of like one sentence. I believe, it's, I believe it changed, but we're treating it that way as we get into verse 10. And something I think that's important is Peter's not afraid to talk about false teaching. And I'm not sure we always need to name false teachers. Sometimes we do. But I think we need to be people who we understand there is false teaching. And false teaching that goes on in our generation goes on today. And I think it's a little bit more dangerous today than any other time in church history because we have this thing called the internet. And it's a blessing and a danger at the same time. The blessing is, hey, we can get teachings 24 hours a day. I remember when I was first saved, I was going through some stuff, and then finally when I really wanted to start digging in, I wanted to go through the Bible with Chuck Smith. And at that time, there was a tape lending library. It was in Tucson, and a tape or those little square things that you put in a, a little white square thing, and they had a tape lending library in Tucson, and so for a dollar, I could get four tapes. So, you know, you start, and then you get your four tapes, and you put them back in a, in a package, put a dollar in, send it back, and they send you four more. And I went through the whole Bible that way. Now I'm thinking today, I got, I got that entire set on my phone. You know, I don't, I don't have to send a dollar. I don't have to do that. So it's a blessing, right? Or we can even, you know, quote, dial it up anytime, anywhere we want. We have that opportunity and that privilege. At the same time, there is a ton of bad teaching on the internet. A ton. And so we need to be discerning. And how are we going to be discerning? I don't think it's something that we're just going to pray about and through osmosis become discerning people, we're gonna become discerning by getting into our word, knowing the Bible, knowing the word, and more importantly, knowing the God of the word and having that dynamic relationship. So that's what Peter's all about here. Listen, as he's talking about this, he says, look, God can preserve the godly at simultaneously bringing judgment on the ungodly. We need to understand that's the kind of God we have. 
We have that God who is that good. So speaking of judgment, he goes on here then in verse 10, and now he's gonna get kind of really into these teachers, and he says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. So now he's gonna begin to describe them. He's gonna describe them a little bit, and then he's gonna tell us how bad they really are. But as he's describing them, he's talking about those who wanna walk according to the flesh, those who are into sensual things, not just sensual in a sexual sense, although that's there, but just into sensual things, wanting to, all consumed with this world. And I love, I love life, I think most of us do, right? I love living. We were talking in the a, in a back room. Sometimes we'd wish somebody would just walk up behind us and shoot us. But most of the time, most of the time we enjoy life, right? And it's good. I, I mean, you know, it's, but I think heaven is going to be so much better. Amen. Right? And I'm not stuck here. Like, I, I don't get up ever and say, Lord, could you put it off for a couple days? Because I really got this cool thing going on. And, you know, I don't want you coming today. So, but these people are consumed with the things of this world, the sensual, the flesh, the, you know, covetousness of the flesh. And again, not just sexually, but being consumed, loving this world more than loving him. And listen, he's not talking about people in the world. He's talking about people in the church perverting the gospel, and coming in. So he says, listen, they walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. I kind of think that's an important thing. Again, in our generation right now, I think we're, kinda, we're living in a time where there is so much bickering and fighting and stuff going on. And yeah, it's out in the world, but it also creeps in the church. And nobody wants to respect authority anymore. And, you know, we're, we're rebellious against it. My Bible in, hey, for homework, read Romans chapter 13. And I know a lot of us are going, I don't like the authority. It doesn't, God did not ask us if we liked it. God says we respect and I think that's important. I think, again, it's a time where we have to understand that. And I believe Peter's, I believe Peter's talking about governmental authority. And if any time they had a right to reject the government, man, when you got a guy that's feeding Christians to lions, that might be a good time to take a stand, right? But he's saying you got to respect it. And then I think he's also talking about spiritual authority. And, you know, we can even say family authority, but these people, listen, these guys have no respect for authority, and when I read that, listen, when I read that, they despise authority, I kind of think, I gotta check my own heart. I gotta check my own life, because I can have that tendency. Hey, I'm from Bisbee. You know, I can have that tendency to rebel against authority and reject authority, so listen, he says, you need to be careful. And these guys, they do it, they demonstrate it, and then he goes on and say they are presumptuous, self-willed. I kind of like that. Listen, he just like makes a, a statement here, right? They're presumptuous people, they're self-willed. These guys are teaching the word, they're taking a position in the church, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. 
I'm not sure that's a great translation, dignitaries. I think what he's talking about, and we'll look at verse 13 in a minute, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 11. I think what he's talking about is, I think he's talking about speaking against, uh, against angelic beings. I don't think he's talking about so much dignitaries in, you know, in our realm of authority. I think he's talking about angelic beings. And I kind of, I have to be honest, sometimes I hear some people and the way they talk about demons, I'm thinking, oh. Do you remember in the book of Acts, there was some guys who went and challenged some demons? They were the sons of Sceva, sound familiar? And remember what happened? Like they were being all cool, right? They kind of remind me of some of the false teachers today and people who think they have authority that they don't have. And remember those guys? And remember what the demon said to them? It wasn't a bunch of demons. It was only one demon. And here's what he said to them. Paul I know and Jesus I know, but I don't know who you are. And proceeded to beat them up. We need to know, listen, we need to know Jesus. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on a relationship with him and let him take care of, of evil spirits. Again, I'm not saying we need to ignore them or be afraid of them, but we need to understand we don't need to be people who think we're more than we are. We are human beings. Yes, we're human beings filled with the spirit of God, but we're still human beings. And we need to remember that. Oh, look at what he says. He says, he says they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might. Here's what he just let us know. Angels are greater than we are. I hope you know that. And when you go to heaven, you're not going to become an angel. You're not going to be, oh, he got his wings. <laughs> when you go to heaven, you're still going to be a human being but you're gonna be completely transformed, but you're still gonna be a human being, right? So angels, here's what, he, here's what Peter, this is Peter and God speaking through Peter. Angels are greater, what does he say? They're greater in power and might. They're greater than we are, we need to know that. And so he says, here's what he's saying, if, if angels who are greater in power and might, if they don't bring revile accusations against these dignitaries, he says against them before the Lord, hey, they don't do that, shouldn't we pay a little bit of attention to that? Shouldn't we be a little bit aware of that? And you've heard me share when we talked about this in Jude, in the book of Jude, right? My favorite quote from Dave Wilkerson was when the devil comes and knocks on his heart, he opens the door and says, Jesus, it's for you. You know, and I think we, we kind of keep that in mind, right? And, and we have this relationship. So that's one aspect of them. Now he's going to kind of get into how bad they can really be. And I think this is something we need to get a picture in our mind. I believe we need to be people who, when we think of false teachers, we should get this ugly, horrible picture so we want to run. I think that's important in a lot of areas in our life. I think if things are going on in our heart in different ways, I think we can use our mind to protect us in spiritual areas and doing things. And so here's what he's saying. Be careful. He says, here's what these guys, here's what they really are. When you strip away all of the glam and all of the glitter and all of the, that stuff, you strip it away. Listen to what he says. But these, in verse 12, 
like natural brute beast made to be caught and destroyed. Here's what he says. They're like from the animal kingdom. And I know some people want to argue this. Animals cannot reason. There's a huge difference between human and, and I know some people go, you haven't been around my dog. Look, I own the greatest dog in the world. I know, I had the greatest dog in the world, my dog went to heaven, I know all of those things, but Rocky could not reason. They don't reason. Animals do things out of instinct, and they instinctively do something. Humans, that what separates us from the animal world, in spite of even what our world tries to teach us, what separates us is we can reason, and we have that ability. And he says, but these guys, they're like brute beasts. He says, he says they're, like, they're like those that are just made to be caught and destroyed. When I read that, I think of a ribeye steak. That's just, sorry, that's just my mind. I think, yeah, they're made to eat. Several years ago, I was traveling and went to a barbecue place, and I got Pastor Jack a T-shirt that said, I did not climb to the top of the food chain to eat vegetables. <laughs> it was like my favorite T-shirt, right? So listen, they're like brute beasts. He says, listen, we have dominion. This doesn't mean we mistreat animals. Doesn't mean that we're brutal to them, but we're different than them. And he says, but these guys, here's what he's saying. These guys are acting on instinct, not reason. And their instinct is corrupt because they're sinners. When we fell in Adam, he passed along to us this thing called a sin nature. I hope you understand you sin because you are a sinner. You don't become a sinner by sinning. You are a sinner, therefore you sin. So he says, hey, they're like brute beasts that uh, made to be caught and destroyed. Speaking evil of things they do not understand. Oh. Again, there's that reason thing, but does it ever disturb you when the world starts talking about spiritual things and they act like they know? They act and like they, have you ever noticed whenever there's any of that that goes on, and I'm thinking about the media, and it goes on in the media, and they want to talk about something spiritual or something biblical. Have you ever noticed they never call up people like Chuck Swindoll and say, hey, could you give us your opinion on this scripture? They always get some goon that is talking about something he doesn't understand. It's not fair for people in the world to try and tell us what the Bible's saying because they don't know, they don't understand. And I don't think that's right, and that's what he's saying. But even worse than that, I think it's worse when we have people involved in ministry and they don't know what they're talking about. Now, sometimes, listen, sometimes we get like older and confused. <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, they, they have no clue. And you know, it's interesting, I was reading one of the commentaries today of somebody who went to seminaries, or a seminary. Actually, they had a doctorate. So they went through really higher education. And interesting thing, this person said, his seminary professors worked hard at trying to get them to disbelieve the Bible. That breaks my heart when I hear that. You know, when you, when you think seminaries were originally founded to prepare people for ministry. 
and now they've turned into this intellectual, you know, ivory tower thing where they're fighting against the very thing they were founded for. Why? Because they put people in there who do not understand. You can't understand spiritual things unless you're born of the Spirit. And you're, you, that's an essential. So that's what, what Peter's talking about, people creeping in. He says, so they, they uh, uh, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. So I read, listen, I just read verse 12 and I'm going, I don't want much to do with these people, right? I, I, wished, I wish they would wear signs or, you know, in front of their podcast put, I'm a heretic, don't listen to me. But they don't, do they? And again, they're out there. We have to be discerning. We gotta be people who, we're not afraid to say, wait a minute, if they're doing this, if they're doing this, if they're doing this, then I probably should not be listening to them. And it doesn't mean, listen, doesn't mean you have to broadcast everybody not to, you need to remove yourself. I was talking with somebody just the other day and they, they talked about going to a church that was doing some weird thing or something. And my answer to them was, then why would you even go there? Get out of there. We have the, you know, especially in America, we're blessed. It's kind of a blessing and a cursing. If there's bad stuff going on, we can remove ourselves from that place. That's kind of a cursing too because, you know, then we go church shopping. I hate that term. It's like, I'm shopping for a new church. Really? You got many in your basket yet? You know, it's kind of, so, listen, he's saying be careful, watch out, and these guys will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive wages of unrighteousness. Man, I read all of that, and here's my understanding. I need to be careful, and it's my responsibility to be careful. It's my responsibility as a pastor at times to speak out against false teaching and sometimes against false teachers, but it's God's responsibility to take care of them, right? Hey, they're in their own corruption. They're gonna receive the wages of unrighteousness. Have you ever thought about that? Like that's one payday I don't wanna get. I wanna, I wanna receive what I don't deserve. I desperately need grace and the grace of God. So that's what they're facing. And then he goes a little bit further. They're gonna get the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Man, I mean, I gotta think about something. This is the first century that Peter's writing this, like probably in the late 60s. And as he's writing this, listen, as Peter's writing this and putting this out, he's talking about people doing vile and gross things in the middle of the day. They don't care. They're arrogant. They're self-willed. They're anti-God, although they're pretending to be of God. But they're blatantly, listen, they're blatantly flaunting it in broad daylight. That kind of like sounds like America. Sounds like where we're at. And again, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. And he's saying, You've got to watch out for these people. This is what they're doing. And some of them even do something as, to me, as wicked and rude as saying, well, I can prove by the Bible what I'm doing is right. <laughs> well, you know what? You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. It's pretty easy. You can twist it and, and misconstrue it. And you can make it do that to people who do not know the word. 
if we know the word and they say that, we go, wait, 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 let's back up a little bit. You're kind of misquoting that and you're taking it out of context and you're saying it says this when it really doesn't say that. And then I've noticed, here's what happens when you do that with people, they suddenly go, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't like you. And then they call you ugly or something. Right? You lose a debate, you start name calling. And, and they do that. So listen, he says, so he's saying they, they're people who they, they count it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime and they are spots and blemishes. Now listen, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Oh, these are people who are hanging out at your love feasts. Today we call them potlucks, right? Community dinners, gathering together. These are people, they're, they're hanging out and you're sitting and eating with them and you're not questioning them. You're not asking them, how come you say that? Because I don't think that means what you're saying it means and you shouldn't be doing that and I don't wanna eat with you anymore. I think it's okay to tell people, I really don't wanna eat with you that are being corrupt in that way. So he says, listen, they're doing that at your love feast, or at your, I think he's talking about feast, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Oh, now he's getting into it, and here's the thing we're gonna learn in a minute. One of the major corruptions in ministry and even in the church is sexual sin and money. Those two things can corrupt so fast and he says, listen, man, these are guys that have their eyes on adultery. They're, they're full of adultery, and they cannot, it doesn't say they will not, they cannot cease from sinning. They put themselves in such a position, and they've gotten so ingrained in it that they can't stop. I'm not saying it's, a, you know, it's an addiction and they can't stop, but you, you, get, you get what's going on. Now, as I get this picture I'm seeing a monster, and I don't want to hang out with monsters. I mean, hey, when, when I was a little kid, I remember this lady, I, she was babysitting me and my brother, and she took us to a movie, and it was called, I, I'll never forget, I'm like, I'm like way older now. And I remember as a little guy, I went and saw The Giant Claw. It scared me so bad. Like, I didn't, I didn't sleep, man, I was like, I come in your bed. I'm scared. And when I read this, this is how I want to look at false teachers as monsters that want to destroy me. Now, I'm not going to run to mommy, but we need to understand that. That's who they are. And you get this picture, and he just like, he makes it worse and worse and worse. And then at the very, look at, it just gets, it's just like, this is it. At the end of verse 14, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. It's interesting, the word that he used there for trained is a word that we get gymnasium from. And what do you usually do in a gym? Train, right? It takes discipline, that's where you discipline your body to get in shape to do things. And here's what he's saying, man. They have put in effort and time. How do you really get good at anything? Put effort into it, right? I mean, some of us have hobbies. Some of us do things like I like to play golf. And if I want to get good at golf, what do I have to do? 
I got to play a lot of golf. I don't have time for that, but you know, hey, that's what you do. You want to be a good musician? What do you do? You practice. You do things. You don't just pick up a guitar and start playing and you're good. You got to put time in. Most of us know that, right? You want to get really good at something. I kind of use the illustration when, whenever I do pottery in front of people, people go, that's easy. And I go, okay, well, sit down and show me, right? Why, why do I make it look easy? Because I've done it thousands of times. So let's apply that to what he's saying here about what these people do. He says, they have trained, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They've worked at it and they've gotten to the place, here's what I believe, a lot of them don't even know they're doing it. Now I'm not saying they're innocent, but they've gone so far over that line, they don't even know and they've practiced it and done it so diligently that that's what they're good at that's what they do. And then he says they're accursed children. So now he's described that. Now one more thing he wants to say. Now he's going to use an illustration. Here's what I love about Peter. Through this chapter, he uses illustrations out of the Old Testament. You know what that tells me? Peter knew his word. Remember, Peter didn't have the New Testament. He only had the Old Testament. So last time we looked at a couple passages in Genesis, now he jumps a couple books, and here's what he says. He says, these guys are doing this. They have forsaken, in verse 15, they've forsaken the right way, he says, and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Once again, he brought up the wages of unrighteousness, a little bit ago. Now he's saying, there's this guy, Balaam, and if you don't know about Balaam, you gotta read Numbers 22 through 30, through what did I put down, through 25, or really through 31. Or really, just read the whole book of Numbers. <laughs> but what a story this guy is. And, and here's what he's saying, listen. He's saying, they know they've left the right way. We need to understand, there is a right path, and we can choose to stay on that path, or we can go over here, and we can get lost, and we can get messed up. Most guys who drive know that, right? Amen. Guys get lost all the time. I mean, nowadays we have GPS, right? It's kind of like having your wife with you in the car all the time. <laughs> turn here, turn here, right? So, sorry. It is good. Hey, I'm saying that's a good thing. They don't get lost anymore. But here's what he's saying. They've gone, they were supposed to go one way and they left that path, they left the right way and they went astray following this guy, Balaam. So you gotta read, if you don't know, Numbers 22 through 25. I'm gonna do some highlights. We're not gonna, we're not gonna turn there, but I'll do some highlights out of that. But, but if you haven't read that and you're not familiar, read that section and go over it. So you have this guy, Balaam. Now, Balaam is mentioned here. He's mentioned in Jude. He's mentioned in Revelation. So he's kind of a character, right? He's an Old Testament guy in the middle of Numbers, a book nobody likes to read. But in the, you know, I've, the thing I've noticed about Numbers is there's little gems, like you read, you know, you read a bunch of chapters about genealogy and you're going, ugh. And then there's a gem. And then you read a bunch more genealogy and then there's a gem. And you read a bunch more, it's like God's seeing, I gotta keep you interested. Right, because I know, our culture's not interested in genealogy. Some cultures, that's what they live for. 
I remember having a conversation with a Wycliffe Bible translator. And they're the ones that go into a village and they learn the language and then they translate the Bible into that language. And this individual was working with somebody on the book of Matthew. And he skipped chapter one and went to everything else. And went through and got it all translated then went back to chapter one. And the tribal person, as they're doing chapter one, he just became enthralled. And here's what he said. Why did you save the best to the last? You know what chapter one is? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, right? But for them, it was important. So kind of remember that when you're reading numbers. Listen, God didn't write it just for the American culture, right? The Bible's for everybody and every culture. But so as you go through numbers, all of that to try and get you to read the book of numbers. I'm just working real hard at it. But you have this guy, Balaam. Balaam is brought up. Now, Balaam, to me, is interesting because he's a, he's a Gentile prophet hanging out. And I just get a picture of this guy kind of just hanging out on a mountain, just doing whatever he's doing. And then you get another guy who comes along who's scared of all the Israelites. His name's Balak. They're not related. Two different people, two different, not even in the same tribal area, not even from the same group, but Balak is scared, and he wants to defeat Israel, and he want, he's trying to figure out how is he going to do that? How can he do that? So he goes, and he gets this idea. I know. I'll get Balaam. I heard of this prophet. I'll get him to curse Israel. So he sends an entourage up on the mountain, and they come up there, and they go, hey, man, we've got $50,000. Will you curse Israel? Eh, no. First he asks God, and God says, why are you asking? This is Pat's paraphrase. He comes back and says, no, I'm not going to do it. So they go back, and they tell Balak, he's not going to do it. And he goes, take some more. If he won't do it for that, let's offer him more. So they go back, and it's kind of like Balaam said, I'm not going to do it, you know, even for a house full of money. And they come back, and they go, we got a house full of money, dude. Are you sure you don't want to do that? It's kind of like the story of a, a guy who had hired someone in a bank and asked him if, you know, for $50,000, if he would help him, like, like start to uh, embezzle some money. And he goes, 50000 Yeah, I might do that. And then the president of the bank said, would you do it for a hundred? And he goes, what do you think, I'm a thief? And he goes, we've already established you're a thief. We're just debating the price. Right? So kind of the same thing with Balaam. So Balak comes back, offers him a whole bunch more. He goes and asks God, and God, and again, this is Pat's paraphrase, God said, dude, you're driving me nuts. Just go. Just go. Just, you know, if you're bent on it. And that's what some of us do, right? Kind of think about that. The next time God tells you no, and you go, but God, what about? Don't be a Balaam, Okay? Because if you're a Balaam, you may be talking to a donkey. <laughs> so he goes and manipulates God, manipulates God's will for his own good. And then my favorite story, man, he takes off. He's taking off and he's all happy doo -doo 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 -doo, on the trip. And they kind of go through a canyon area and a big angel sets up in front of him and he can't see the angel but the donkey can. That's a drag, right? A donkey's got more spiritual perception than you do. 
think about this. I mean, this story is intense, right? And so the donkey goes off to the side and hits his leg and he hits the donkey. What's the matter with you, stupid donkey? Just get going. Why are you crushing me? And then they go a little bit further. They get in another tight canyon area and the donkey like crushes him again. So he gets off and he starts beating the donkey. He's mad at the donkey, right? And the donkey finally looks at him and goes, why are you beating me? Oh, look what it says. Look what Peter says. I love what Peter says. Look. He says, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, uh, a dumb donkey speaking. Now, I read that. He's not talking about dumb as ignorant dumb. He's talking about dumb as he can't speak. I think every donkey's dumb. You know, I read Peter, and I'm going, every donkey's dumb, Peter, except for that one. Right? So listen, so the donkey goes, why are you beating me, man? Haven't I always been good? Haven't I taken you wherever you wanted to go? I love this conversation. I mean, this donkey's just like saying, dude, what is the matter with you? I've been really good. I'm a good donkey. And he goes, I know, but now you're not. And the donkey kind of does this, open his eyes, Lord. And he sees the angel and he goes, oh. And so he's rebuked by the donkey. And here's the crazy thing. He gets through that. He goes through that, and he goes to curse Israel. And so he goes up on a mountain and looks out over Israel and blesses them. I mean, you got to read his oracles, right? And that's why I'm telling you, you have to read those chapters. I mean, he just, his oracles are beautiful. And Balak's going, excuse me? Like, I hired you to curse them, and you're blessing them. And he goes, oh, okay, let me try again. I love it. And he goes up, and he gets another beautiful oracle, right? He does this three times. I'm thinking, this is crazy. What a crazy story. And he does it three times. And Balak finally gets mad, and he says, look, I've had it with you. I think I'll just take my money back. I'm going to kill you. I don't like you. I'll shoot the donkey. I don't care. <laughs> I don't think all that went on. But. And you remember what happened? Balaam says, I can't curse them because God won't let me. But I'll tell you how to beat them. I'll tell you what you need to do. Now, here's what's interesting is Peter's saying the way of Balaam. What was the way of Balaam? Greed and sexual immorality. Because here's what he says. Here's how you're going to beat Israel. Get your girls to entice their young men and marry them and then God will do the work for you. Wow, that's intense, right? So he lets them know. So, so, and then they begin to do that. And then when you get to Numbers 31, when you come to Numbers 31, you find out that it worked. But then in Numbers 31, God finally intervenes, right? Stops what's going on. And then the sad thing in Numbers 31, I think it's about verse 16, there's sometimes maybe, just read Numbers 31, and you get to all of that, and here's what you find out. Balaam gets his just reward. He's run through with a sword. But Israel has suffered great loss. So, here's what he's saying. These people have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam in verse 15, the son of Beor, Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. His wages of unrighteousness was the money that, that Balak was given him. And then he says, but he was rebuked for his inquiry by a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, 
and he restrained the madness of the prophet. I don't want to live my life and do my ministry so that God has to talk to me through a donkey. I don't want to be so blind and so hard-headed and so ingrained in my sin that God has to do something like that to get my attention. Now, here's what it tells me. God loves us enough to do that. What a great God we have. But I don't want to be that person. I want to be sensitive to the voice of God. I want to hear him. I want to follow him. And I want to know his heart. Every day I pray, God, give me your heart for this generation. And here's what I know. God became incarnate. Here's what I mean by that. God left heaven and put on flesh and dwelt among us. I know we're kind of accustomed to that, but that should be mind-boggling. And it should teach us something, that living in the flesh, not, not fleshing out, but living in fle- fleshing, you know, with one another is important. If God was willing to leave heaven and put on flesh and blood to have a relationship with us, shouldn't we be willing to gather together to encourage each other, iron sharpening iron, and coming together and fellowshipping and coming together as we're gonna do tonight around the Lord's table? Why? We're doing that so we can be strengthened and then when these people show up, we don't need a donkey to talk to us. We have the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. And so Peter's afraid. Listen, Peter's afraid for that generation. And he's like describing this in great detail and description. Why? So that they will understand the danger and the dangerous position that they're in and they'll take a stand. And I think we should not be afraid to take a stand for truth. That doesn't mean we're jerks. Doesn't mean that we're arrogant and rude. What it means is we're immovable. And we stand strong and we trust the Lord. Hallelujah, huh? So let's don't listen to donkeys. Well, you should listen. If a donkey talks to you, you should really listen to it, I guess. This, that would be important, right? I mean, if a donkey turns around and says, why are you beating on me? Don't, well, number one, you shouldn't beat donkeys. But if you are, and he asks you why, then you're like, I'm in serious trouble. And if your little pet dog talks to you, your cat talks to you, your hamster talks to you, it's just either you're weird or something's going on, right? Pay attention. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we do think about your word tonight, and and Lord, I do, I thank you for this challenge that we've had. And God, I, I thank you that Peter, you've moved him in such a way that he's concerned, and he brings out details that I think we should know and understand, and we should be, quote, listening for. And God, I believe there's a time where we talk about false teaching. But God, I also believe our greatest responsibility is to know the truth and the truth will set us free. That's what my Bible says. And make us be men and women who we're not looking for freedom, we're looking for our master, for our Lord, that we can yield to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.